0: Okay, Hebrews 10 and chapter 29 is our text. We're in the middle of one of these warnings against apostasy, and this particular one is warning about, you know, um, committing the unpardonable sin. Is what is called in Matthew, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So Hebrews 10:29. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve? Who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has insulted the Spirit of grace? This is a warning against apostasy, and is the midst of one of these lesser to greater arguments that we talked about. I think a couple weeks ago when we were in this, the idea in here is that. If you look at the old covenant, which is a lesser covenant according to the book of Hebrews, and if someone was a stiff-necked rebel under the old covenant that refused to follow the law of Moses, such a one died without mercy after the testimony of two or three witnesses. And Now, the implication is that if someone were to do the same under the New Covenant, that the punishment would be even greater than the punishment under Moses. And because it's a greater covenant and there's a worse level of desecration. So this is uh, talking about desecrating the blood of the covenant. Now, here it says, has regarded as unclean. Unclean here would be a reference to the old covenant idea of being fit to, fit for service or fit for worship. An unclean person couldn't go before God. A priest had to become ceremonially clean in order to go in and do his priestly duties. And so someone unclean is not fit for sacrifice, or not fit for worship. So what this is saying is that if someone had been a Christian and decided that the blood atonement that had been provided by Christ was insufficient, and such a person here in this case, going back to the old animal sacrifices, is basically, according to this passage, Saying to Jesus, your blood is unclean. Your blood isn't fit to wash away my sins. I'm going to go do some, do this some other way. That's what it, what's being done here. And so, to go back to the old priesthood is <clears throat> to regard the blood of Christ as unclean or unfit for sacrifice. And so, having desecrated the covenant in that way, the person is also insulting the Spirit of grace Why? Because the New Covenant is based on not only the the sacrifice that God accepts, the blood of Jesus once for all that was shed for sins, but the Holy Spirit cleanses us from the inside out when we become Christians. He he indwells us, regenerates us, and has uh, given us the power to live godly Christian lives. So to turn away from that and to go to something else instead is tantamount to blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Yes, Mike.
1: Uh, in your opinion, do you think that the Catholic practice that you receive the parent sacrifice that the priest performs during the Mass, would you consider that in of the Son of
0: Hmm. Would you would you say so, Elizabeth? I would
1: definitely say that. What what the priest is doing during the Holy Eucharist, or what they consider the Holy Eucharist, is they believe that you're actually the priest goes up they have a whole Jesus Christ now and and he is transformed physically and becomes the body and blood of Jesus Christ. This is heresy. Yeah, you know I you know I am an ex catholic and I'm reading The thing is you know, if, I, if
0: I'm trying to refute this kind of belief or practice, would this be a good verse to use? Hmm. Regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant. in, in as much as if indeed this practice is a rejection of the once-for-all sacrifice that Christ made, then I think it would certainly come awful close to this. I wouldn't, uh, I'm not, I hadn't heard that argument before. It's interesting.
2: I've never been a Catholic, so I may be speaking out of ignorance here, but I think that's why Christ is still on the cross when you see a crucifix. It's because he continually dies for your sin. Therefore, the Catholic Church doesn't believe that his blood is not good enough. It's just that it's not a once
0: once done deal. what What they reject is once for all. Right. That's right, when I wrote that article, The Gospel for Roman Catholics, that's one of the the things I went back to over and over in my article, is once for all. Christ's blood was shed once for all. And secondly, that Jesus is the high priest. There's no other priest. He's the one mediator. And, And Jesus Christ said, it is finished. It is finished, exactly. And the the response I got, I think it was a very useful article for witnessing to many Catholics but some of the Catholics that are more astute and may closer to really understanding the gospel, they came after me and said, Well, why are you telling us this? We already believe it. And I said, Well then why don't you preach it? That's what I always say. And you know, what you privately believe doesn't do anybody any good. The only thing that's going to change somebody's life is what you proclaim and what you preach. So, how many ordinary Catholics going to Mass Sunday after Sunday understand this or ever hear about it—the once-for-all work of Christ?
1: But wouldn't that be insulting the Spirit of Grace? Because it's God's grace that Christ came and died, That's, and this sacrifice on the cross and has this power and effect, and then we, or you know, all of the
0: If, it, if, if that's what they believe and what that's what they do, it's very serious, yeah. I, I would say this, that the same issue, when I was as I've been studying Hebrews, and this is, I don't know, like my third time through Hebrews in, in, a, in a study. The first one was when I was in Bible college. Um, as I've been studying this, I think the issues are very much the same, not only for Catholicism, but for a lot of other things going on in, in the Christian church. And that is this. Uh, when we did the radio show, if you missed the radio show, you want to listen from noon to two today. We had Jan. We had a really. I thought, especially the second hour, we were talking about the emergent church. Jan had with her in the studio uh, a person who is studying in college, a Christian college here in town, who is an intern working with her. And she showed me. I talked about spiritual formation on the air, all right. And she showed. She said, "Well, I'm in a spiritual formation class right now." She showed me her literature. It's just a bunch of garbage. It is. uh, They had Madame Guyon as a role model, who was just a a total mystic, off the wall, crazy stuff. And when I was talking to this lady about her class, and what's going on is that. People want something tangible, all right. And it's just like the apostasy in the Old Testament. In the Old Covenant, when Moses went up on Mount Sinai to receive the law from God, what did they say when they made the golden calf? Yeah, they said we can't see Moses. He he was out of sight. Where's Moses? We don't see him. He's gone. We need something tangible. So they made a calf because you could see it and feel it. People want something tangible. And what I said to this lady when she was showing me her spiritual formation, and she said, you know, I was in this class and I can't, I just hate this stuff, and I told the teacher I can't read this stuff. It's awful. She said, well, you have to. if You want to get a grade in this class. And, and I said, this is a failure of faith. This is the same failure that the book of Hebrews is writing about. Because why did they want to go back to the temple services and the animal sacrifices and the high priest? Because they can't see Jesus. He's in heaven. He's invisible to the, to the physical senses. They can't get it. They can't. There's nothing there for your physical senses. It's there for your faith. And it says in Hebrews, faith is the evidence of things not seen. So if you won't worship an unseen God, who is invisible, and you won't come to an unseen high priest who is in heaven, and you're saying I have to have a tangible one now that I can see and look at all the pomp, you know, here's the high priest with his garb and we have all this wonderful stuff. That that's that is apostasy. That is a failure of faith. And now if now to apply what you're talking about, Mike, if somebody says I have to have a physical priest that I can see. I have to have physical blood that's tangible. I have to have something I can ingest. I have to have a sensory experience to come to God. That's the same failure that's being warned about in the book of Hebrews, and so I would apply it. Yes, that's apostasy. And this emergent church that we were talking about on the air yesterday, that's what they're saying. We have to worship God with all five senses. So we have beads, icons, <laughs> images, candles, incense, and we come in and have a sensory experience. Now we can come to God. That's that's just nothing but unbelief. Yes? I was
3: looking at this in light of the great apostasy that's coming with the Antichrist. Because if you look at this in New Revelation he talked about if you go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth and it's for sure that, you know, the Antichrist knows what's true. He's just anti it. <laughs> you know. Okay. And you see that the, the two witnesses come down and preach against this thing that's there. And, you know, they say this is wrong in a way that's very real. You know, you don't agree with them. You try to kill them. Fire the comes out of their mouths and kills you. So, you know, that's a pretty solid witness <laughs> and then it says, uh, how much more severe the punishment you think you observe was trampled under the son of God and regard as clean the blood of the covenant and you have the same kind of apostasy where people are looking to a tangible substitute Christ but the tangible is being drawn into a tangible thing and the two witnesses are saying no no there's another one you can't see him and everybody,
0: yeah. Yeah. Anyway. yeah, I think that this is all coming together in my mind. I've got a couple articles in, in my mind for the next six months.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing with that in
0: Sunday school? <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: this,
3: it says the Bible teaches
2: we're saved by faith. Yes. So this is actually a rejection of that concept. Say, I want a, whether it be a gold or a wooden idol, or a walking, talking representative of an idol. They're looking for...
0: Yeah. T- then, t- we, we've got to have something tangible idolatry. or we it's won't idolatry. believe. It's, it's and if we're saying that, according to Hebrews, then we're unbelievers. Right? Now, the, this mysticism is something like that. Rather than believing the Scriptures... And believing God, we have to have some inner experience. experience. Yeah, it's a more tangible spiritual experience, so we feel close to God. And I told this lady who's in the class, I said, "The antidote to your class is the Book of Hebrews." And I would say, and this is the article that's in my mind um, <clears> though, <throat> I would say this the book of Hebrews tells us how to draw near to God. The book of Hebrews says this, Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, he sits at the right hand of the Father, and that we have access to the throne of grace, and that there's nobody can be any closer to God than Jesus Christ who is is the God-man who is in heaven at the right hand of God, inside the veil, in the holiest of places where no one could go without dying. And if by faith we have a relationship with Jesus, we are as close to God as we'll ever be until the resurrection or until we go to see Him face to face when we die. And, and if somebody says, no, that's not good enough, I've got to have this spiritual formation. And what that turns out to be is mysticism. I need to borrow practices from Buddhism, Hinduism, Eastern religion. You know, or, and where do they get those? By going into ancient medieval Rome, and finding practices that they had borrowed from the East. And we're going to bring that in and I'm going to be spiritually formed that I'm going to feel closer to God. No, this is apostasy. You're saying that Jesus Christ as high priest is insufficient and you need something better and you're trampling underfoot the blood of Jesus. I think we could make that application. I feel closer to something, but it's not happening. Yeah, and, you, and, and it's, a, it's insulting to the Holy Spirit to suggest that you need an eastern practice to be close to god you're already indwelt by the holy spirit christ in you the hope of glory how are you going to get closer if
2: i go buy a candle i can get close
0: to god um,
2: <laughs> that would be a yeah you know i wouldn't i wouldn't say a, a, a can, it's
0: not a sin to have candles but it's a sin to take a candle and think and, and think you're going to get closer to god um and people it, what this is is it's, uh, it's playing on our native pagan instincts that came from fallen Adam. If you... you know, who was I talking to about this the other day? If you take a group of people and isolate them from the history of world religions, and the an anthropologists will say that this is true, if you, if you go into tribal religions. If you just let people... Have whatever religion they see fit without any kind of influence from the outside, they'll become pagan every time. They'll always be pagan. And they'll end up with polytheism, they'll end up with some, you know, with these kind of practices. And so the, the instincts that humans have in their fallenness is to be pagan. Now that's why in the Old Testament they warned, they, they set up this wall of separation Borrowing that from the Constitution (laughs) that they talk about. But there's a wall of separation between the Jews and the pagans. And this wall of separation was the law. When they had the food laws, when they had the Sabbath law, when they had the laws about clean and unclean, it created this unique or peculiar people that were such that they couldn't possibly get along with the people around them. That's why there are still Jews today. They just don't fit in. And the law created that. And so there was this wall of separation to keep them from intermingling with the pagans and losing their distinct identity as the people of God. Now, one of the reasons for that, and you can read about it in Deuteronomy, where, by the way, the author of Hebrews is quoting Deuteronomy in here often, is that if they intermingle with the pagans, the pagans will influence them, not the other way around. Because in, their heart, in our hearts, we're all pagans other than a work of grace. And so when paganism comes, it speaks to us. It speaks our language. It, it, it touches something inside of us that we respond to. And so when these pagan practices are brought into the church, like contemplative prayer it is immediately people love it. They say, this is great. It makes me feel close to God. Why? Because it is fulfilling their pagan urges. It appeals to the flesh. And this is exactly what's going on with these various practices. And the book of Hebrews is an antidote to that. I would to God that every evangelical Christian did a study in the book of Hebrews. It says, faith is the substance of things not seen. If you're not satisfied with that, then you're gonna to have to be an unbeliever. Oh no, we don't want things that are not seen. Let's get the candles and the incense and the icons and the and we're gonna have something we can see.
2: All right. I find it interesting also that every civilization that has ever existed and kept any type of records, when you go check these records, that they do believe in a type of a god, even though it may be a pagan god. Oh yeah. They do believe that there is a superior being, and that just verifies from.
0: Yes, they 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 always believe in spirits and polytheism and, and pagan practices, and it's amazing how much similarities there are. So much so that some people, like Carl Jung, theorized the cosmic mind of the universe, because they would go and find if you if, if you go study these isolated cultures and their religious practices and beliefs, they are amazingly identical, and. Carl Jung saw that and he actually noticed that some of his uh, patients were having dreams and these were uneducated patients that didn't know anything about the history of world religions and their dreams were the same as a lot of Greek mythology. And so Carl Jung said there must be this cosmic connection, this cosmic, uh, this co- uh, that, that in our subconsciousness we're hooked up. We're all hooked up together. Yeah, sort of this universal mind. And that would explain why these isolated tribal groups would come up with the same religious beliefs and practices. But here's another possible explanation. Satan's telling them all the same lie every time he gets a chance. (laughs) There's an evil mind out there, Satan, who is feeding his lie to people all over the world, and he has been for a long time. That's the commonality, and and he's very good at what he does, and he knows what we lust for. Humans have appetites that will determine what they're willing to believe. I'm going to preach on that this morning, because Paul talks about appetites. And if you feed that appetite, you'll be popular. So what's going on today in the evangelical world is we're taking things, bringing them into the church that are suitable for people's native pagan inclinations, and voila, we're popular and everybody likes what we're doing.
3: And we're calling it God, I mean, having appetite isn't a bad thing. We go to a concert because we like music. We have an appetite for music. We have an appetite for something that's beautiful. That's okay. But when I call something that's a beautiful God,
0: I'm that's idolatry. idolatry. Yeah, that's why Paul says in the sermon I'm going to preach is on Philippians three. He says whose God is their belly, but the it's a belly, literally stomach in the Greek, but it's a metonymy. Um, and, or, a, it's a figure of speech that means appetite. In other words, they will serve what feels good and what serves their desires.
3: When you make your appetite into a God. Right. An appetite for, for spirits is very, very
0: dangerous. It's very, very enticing. Alright. So, what's the lesson from the book of Hebrews? Hebrews 1029. How do we avoid apostasy? Number one. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. We read that earlier. all right? So the blood of Jesus is shed once for all. Once for all is repeated three or four times in Hebrews. So why once for all? So you won't go get some priesthood to start doing sacrifices for you. all right? Forget it. You don't need it. It's once for all. If the Roman Catholic Church would embrace that idea, they'd have to cancel the priesthood. And cancel a mass. But they, but the more educated ones are used to Protestants debating them and they'll come out and say, no, we don't really believe that. You're misrepresenting us. And that's what I got from people. Well, no, no, we don't believe that Christ is sacrificed over and over again. That's what they tell me. No, we don't believe that. Well, the average person going to the mass does, but the, the intelligentsia has, has set up, has created this layers of of apologetic stuff to try to defend it. Yeah, I agree. Why isn't the cross empty then? Okay, so the the, the Holy Spirit cleans The blood of Jesus cleanses us from the inside. Cleanses our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Jesus is the high priest. And other than Him, it's the priesthood of every believer, according to the Bible. He is ascended into heaven, he sits at the right hand of God, he's entered into the holy place, we have an anchor inside the veil, it's our hope, and that the way we draw near to God is by faith in Christ coming to him as our high priest. And there's no way to be closer to God than that. And then we believe in him whom we have not seen. He who comes to God must believe that he is, and he's the reward of those who seek him. And that um, faith is the evidence of things not seen. And we are rejoicing in that faith and nurturing that faith, and we're resisting any temptation to accept some lesser thing because it's more tangible. Does that make sense? Accept some other practice because it makes me feel closer to God. There's a lot of people who feel close to God or are on their way to hell. I had some, there was a person who used to go to church here who left, which is fine. But she, I saw her later, and what she said troubled me. She said, Well, I wanted to tell you why I'm not going to your church anymore. I said, Okay. She said, Well, I'm going to this Messianic group. I said, That's fine. She said, Well, here's why I'm going there. They have prayer shawls, and when I put the prayer shawl on, I feel closer to God. I said, Now that's a problem. Now, that's a failure of faith. Why would an object make you closer to God? That's, a, that's the danger that's worn about in Hebrews. You can wear shawls. There's no law saying you can't wear the shawl, but you can't. I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, you can't go down to a store and buy holiness. All
1: right?
0: You can't go down to a store and buy something that, if you use it, it's going to make you closer to God
1: holiness is a gift from
0: from God. You can't buy it. And you have to pay something for holiness you don't have. It. You don't have it. And here's something else I've said before, there are no holy objects in the new covenant. Um, think about it for a while. We might say the Bible, but then it's not because it's an object, it's because of the words written, right? The holy Bible. But is there any is there any item that's more holy Then other things under the new covenant: altars, pews, crosses, candles. Are any of these things holy? Are they? Are they? um, How about buildings? Thank you. You're well taught. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody says, "Well, you sell church building. You have to sell it to. You have to sell it to uh, some another church, otherwise it's lost for the kingdom of God." Now, what do you say to that? The kingdom of God doesn't have property right now. The kingdom of God isn't accumulating property on planet Earth for God. That's sort of a kingdom now idea. Well, I'm going to buy this for the kingdom. Well, wait a second. What kind of a what kind of a, a understanding of the kingdom is that? That God, the more property God owns, and the kingdom is being established. Doesn't the Bible say the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof? Um, and so, if a Christian owns it, it doesn't come into the kingdom. And when a Christian sells it, it doesn't go out of the kingdom. It's just that we're stewards of whatever we're responsible for at the moment. Keith? A, I mean, it's silly, <laughs> it sounds silly, but
3: I came from a church where somebody had a vision of this land, particular land of 17 acres, as being holy, and that the angels are standing over it, and that the, everybody got together to buy it so they could have this holy land that had God's purposes for the north part of Minneapolis on it. And they'd have flocks around this holy land that it would accomplish its purposes, and it it sounded really okay because we had a temple in Israel that had holy land. Why not have a a temple land there in some way? But the whole concept is is, flawed. And then you start funding the holy property that God (laughs) has. yeah you know what's
0: the other thing about the money there's this implication that if your money is in your bank account, it's unholy, but if your money goes to the holy man, it becomes holy money. In other words, God's please if, if in other words, the man of God says this: if you keep your money, that's worldly. But if I have your money, God is very happy. God likes it when I have your money. Okay, uh, hey, Mike and then Diane.
1: Uh, in Romans, it talks about presenting ourselves as living sacrifices. And you talk about every believer that is a priest. And I was reading a commentary in Revelation, and it was talking about the kingdom of heaven is built of living stones, of which Christ is the cornerstone. Uh, And I think, you know, that's the characteristic of the New Covenant, that God dwells in each believer. Amen. And that this kingdom is being built of not stone or cement that we can see in our actual building, but in living stones, which is individuals being being, uh, redeemed one at a time. Amen. And... uh, this is a greater covenant than, like you say, the old covenant with its holy objects and holy place. And now, because of Christ uh, entering the veil and becoming our high priest, we can draw near to God, and God through the Holy Spirit can dwell in each person. So we're moving from a, uh, you know, a place like the tabernacle and the temple. Where God resides to a people to a people where God resides, you know, where, where a, a royal nation, a holy priesthood. Amen. So this idea of, of holiness now is uh, should be uh, focused on the saints and their sanctification.
0: Amen. Amen. Exactly. A holy people, not holy objects that you go down and buy at the store. Diane Bukowski, you're very um, patient Today. I'm <laughs> <No>, just kidding. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, back to the shawl. Yes.
3: One of the
4: things we've been hearing a lot lately is you need a point
0: of contact. A point of contact?
4: Uh-huh. In order to reach God, in order to be blessed by God, you have to have a point of contact. And that's what that shawl would be. And it goes back to...
2: To um, touch it, well, that,
4: but but at it, the at the turn of the century, that's
2: church movement
0: that was going on then. your TV can be the point of God. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Oral Roberts, touch your TV. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah then and then you get. Oh. It's become much bigger than that now, oh. it's really a, a
4: very popular.
0: TV. Wow. Have have... Somebody remind me to write an article oh. about all this. Okay, <laughs> hang on to that. I think it would make a good article because I think I like the reason I like writing these articles, and then they go on the web. Is that when I get emails. Somebody says, "Well, what about this? What about that?" I've already wrote on it. Just send a link, and I don't have to write it. I don't have to write a big email. Yes. Yeah.
3: you, University, that was a big part of the class Holy Spirit, and now it's required teaching, and you had this point of contact. Wow. Concept where you. That's where you had a, like a point where you could have your faith focused on it, so you'd have, you'd have faith. And actually,
0: an oral analysis of your faith, you've got to the Homer Hankies, you've got the Oral Robert Hankies. <laughs> 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 I still have one. Still
3: have one. <laughs> Maybe you can sell it on eBay. With this handprint on it, so that's it oral handprint, so you can pray over these Homer Hankies and, and send them off to people and have their point
0: of doctrine. Wow. Yeah. You know, that's just so pagan. Uh, I was talking to Brian Flynn on the phone after we did the radio show. He called me again, and he was telling me some more of his research. And he's thinking about putting something in his, uh, sort of a funny thing in his presentation. He says, I'm going to make these quotes and have the audience guess whether it came from a Christian or a New Ager. Isn't that a great idea? He says, these Christians are just teaching New Age stuff, including, have you heard about portals? There's these portals or vortexes where, where you, if you, if you go into the right location, there's a funnel to heaven or to God. And there's Christians <laughs> teaching that now. That's a New Age idea. Okay, Sam. Oh, uh, the,
2: the paganistic tendencies of man from the fallenness of Adam um, and as of today, the exploiters of that. Which is worse, the, the 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 groups that follow the exploiters or the exploiters that, that
0: lead the groups? Well, the exploiters worse. They'll incur stricter judgment, but but people aren't guiltless for following them, especially if they have a Bible, they know better. Pete. You know, I think there was thinking
4: about something. something that Keith said, and it's only because it's geographically pretty close to my
0: my address. Yeah, you're close to a portal. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Buy this land because it would be this holy land and we we'll would be able to increase the kingdom of God or help the kingdom of God down here on earth. And we're going to do this. And everybody's bought into that now, a monetary and mind wise Now, what is it that people are saying nowadays? Like, I don't even know how many years later it would be than when they say, you know what? We're going
3: to take this land now and sell it.
0: That, yeah, then they come up and say, you can't. I used to be in a group that did that. Yeah, see, because you know, they were talking about selling it, and then somebody gets a revelation that the Bible says, this is holy land, thou shalt not sell it. It was about the Temple Mount. Now, I even, in the 70s, thank God, for some reason, I had enough sense not to believe that, because I remember sitting in a meeting and I heard him say that. I said, that's about the Temple Mount, not our piece of property. What are you talking about? And then they were all like, ooh, Bob's got a bad attitude. <laughs>
3: on a prophetic conference, and they had this big conference, and everybody was coming, and uh, off to the side, they had a room, maybe this big, where people were selling stuff. And you had uh, worship flags, and you had a bunch of different different things. Now, I was just kind of wondering why a worship flag. I've never seen a worship flag before. I went to this little table with two older ladies, just sweet little older ladies, and you had, you could find the Oil, the anointing oil for the priests, and you could buy the anointing oil for some other thing in the temple, and then you could buy this another anointing oil for when you you actually do the sacrifices. You had a a triple anointing oil, and I said, Triple anointing oil? Yes, it's a mixture of all (laughs) three (laughs) of (laughs) them. And they were serious sweetest only. Who's getting rid the Started. They weren't trying to hack anything. They didn't believe, it. and they just separated.
0: This is triple. They were just trying to get people holy oil. Huh? Yeah,
3: they've been doing their best to get God's kingdom built with this, this oil. And if you, you know, even if you read in the scriptures, whoever copies that oil recipe outside of the temple is damned and stuff. <laughs> I? went down and sat at my chair, waiting for the meeting to start. And there's a family behind me. And the guy came up. And he told his talks to his wife who was kind of not too many people around him. Grung, Guess
0: what I thought? What? you won't believe it? What? Triple anointing It's <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable. But so
3: he was grateful that he found this triple anointing well so he could have the prayer his prayers pur- effectual for his
0: family and stuff like that. He, he's just it's, it's it's so sad. Keith remind me to write this article, okay? Next time after your-
3: <laughs> yeah, he's, he's my book, Conscience.
0: Okay, let me, let me say something about the kingdom right now, and then we'll see if we agree on it, alright? Because you hear all this stuff about the kingdom or for the kingdom and taking, you know, getting something for the kingdom. I'll make an assertion, and you can tell me whether you agree. The only way we can build the kingdom now is by preaching the gospel and people being converted.
2: Amen.
0: The kingdom grows when people enter it by faith. Other than that, the kingdom's not tangible now. All right, it isn't. It doesn't have cities, nations, properties, buildings. Um, there's no 501c3 for the kingdom of God. No civil government. There's no civil government for the kingdom. It is only people, as Mike was saying, being built in by God's grace as living stones into God's building. And so, if we really wanted to. Advance the kingdom. We wouldn't send out a letter asking for everybody to give us money to build a prayer tower, like Oral Roberts. We would do, we would use whatever resources we have to preach the gospel. And when Jesus said, what should we be praying for? Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers And there's not a lack of people going into ministry to the day. There's just a lack of people willing to preach the Gospel. And there's a severe lack of laborers because they're being disabled by our seminaries. They're being taught how to be therapists and everything else, but they're not taught how to be Gospel preachers. And so pray that the Lord would raise up preachers of the Gospel, including us here, who want to put feet to our prayers. We'll go out and preach the Gospel. That's how the kingdom will be built. Properties... Our facilities, if they facilitate gospel preaching and nurturing a flock, praise God. If they don't, sell them to anybody. The kingdom isn't gaining or losing property. Okay.
2: just want to get back to the, the holiness. The holiness is a reflection of God's character, which is a behavior that humans reflect.
0: Okay. The holiness
2: pertains to people, and when you get to objects of the faith an object of the faith can be set aside sanctified for God's use, which this table could be, but it's set aside for God's use. So it, it depends on who is using it and for what purpose.
0: Well, if it's if we like I said about facilities or anything else, if it advances the gospel, then it's useful, right. but it's not necessarily holy. there's, it, there's no point of contact. No. So it's a failure of faith. All these points of contact, holy objects, holy priesthoods, um, new methods for getting close to God are all one thing a failure of faith. In, in Hebrews, it calls it apostasy. The true point of contact
3: is the gospel. If you can have a point of contact outside
0: of the message and the content of the gospel, it's something it's an idol. Let me let me write this down. I'm putting a note here about what I'm going to write. I'm going to remind you to your book. I know I got to write the book. Point of contact. All right. Well, let's go back to our passage here. <clears throat> so trample underfoot the Son of God, regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant, and by which he was sanctified. So we're made holy by the blood of Jesus, right? Not by oral Roberts prayer cloth, and has insulted the spirit of grace. Why? Because we're saying it wasn't good enough. The blood regeneration of the Holy Spirit, the high priestly ministry of Jesus, these things that God gave us, if we're saying that's insufficient, there's something better, then we are doing this. And this is very, very severe. This is very severe warning. So I think we've got to take it with the utmost seriousness and cling to God as we come to Him on His terms. Lois, you want to read a scripture? Sure. Uh, Isaiah sixty three ten and uh, Diane? Matthew twelve, thirty one and thirty two, Diane Bukowski, one Corinthians eleven, twenty seven to twenty nine, and lathe, Hebrews twelve, twenty five. And you said Isaiah sixty three, two? Ten.
4: Uh, but they rebelled and vexed His Holy Spirit. Therefore, He was turned to be their enemy, and He fought against them.
0: It says they rebelled and vexed His Holy Spirit. Okay, that's probably where this idea of insulting the Spirit came from, Isaiah 63.10. They, they vexed the Holy Spirit and rebelled, so God became their enemy. So God, who was their, their God, their protector... Um, becomes their enemy because of their apostasy and rebellion against Him and um, insulting the Holy Spirit. Okay, Matthew 12:31 and 32.
4: Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven men, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. And whoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever shall speak against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come.
0: That's pretty bad. It's very serious. Alright. Uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven to 29
4: I read this at home just before we came. There was a, a preacher on television this morning that was saying that when you have communion, you don't have to be concerned about your life at all. Communion is offered. Just go ahead and you be blessed. Okay. Therefore, whoever eats the bread of the, or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks eats and drinks judgment to himself; he does not judge the body rightly.
0: Wow. So that's very similar to what we're looking at here, isn't it? I wonder if in some way these substantiation doctrines are guilty of that. Were you thinking that, Mike? You know, I just
1: finished that book uh, Another Jesus, uh, The U.S. of Jesus. And, uh, I think that's going to be a major theme in Catholicism, but very uh, the rest of the that are going to come out. I'm looking for verses that will refute that because i
0: working well, on Well, it's something to think about. Okay, Leif, uh, Hebrews 12.25. He took it and he did not refuse him to teach you. But those did not escape when they refused him to
1: warn them on earth, much less will we escape to turn away from him who warns us from Christ.
0: Um Okay, we better listen to Christ. On this topic we've been discussing... I want to bring up an email that was going around which was a link to an article in Christianity Today in which somebody defends Christian yoga in Christianity Today. How many saw that article? Elizabeth, Keith, Dick, me, Sam, you saw it? Okay, let me recount the argument of the person who wrote the article. Um, I think she was saying this. She says, yoga is like meat offered to idols. And she was interacting with somebody who was an ex New Ager who had written against yoga. And she said, Well, I suppose if somebody has a weak conscience like an ex new new ager, that person couldn't do yoga because it would be like for them, meat offered to idols. But being how I don't have a weak conscience, I think I can do yoga and <coughs> you know <coughs> excuse me, breathe. It's just breathing and se- sitting and Breathe in. So, this person was defending Christian yoga from the argument of meat offered to idols. And I was just thinking about that. I would, given what we are discussing today, isn't the real issue what you think you're gaining by doing it? Okay? I would say if they believe that somehow this is making a contact with God or getting them closer to God, then that's sinful. Because they're coming to God by some other means than what God has ordained, is that right? Now, if they're just saying, "Well, I like to relax," and there's no spiritual thing whatsoever, I—I I don't know, but why even? I mean, why do you need to go to? Uh, like Brian Flynn always says, "You think these people that invented this were trying to lower their blood pressure?" I mean, it's a technique for getting closer to God in His nature. And so, why would a Christian want to be involved with it? Yes? Did she
1: make a point that she felt that, that practice that she never feels close to God with what she's doing?
0: Is that in the article? That's what makes us sinful. That's right there. Remind me to... Um... Write the book. No, no. No, no, no.
1: <laughs>
0: you guys, that's my visible, audible conscience here. That's sitting right there. Yes? Yeah. <laughs> Really? And now they're promoting it. Amazing. Yes.
1: Uh, if you look at, at the internal struggle between truth and falsehood, we read our Bibles to reinforce truth uh, in our minds and in our hearts. And if yoga lowers those defenses and makes you open to other beliefs that we, you know, are in conflict are in battle with of the Bible, you've just taken something that you think is helping you, but it's really uh, a, a deceiver. It's really going against what you already know in, right. in the Bible. So you're, you're, you're exposing yourself and taking into yourself something that you think helps when it actually it's
0: right. So the reason for all of these things, if I'm understanding what these claims are whether it's the spiritual formation, whether it's centering, whether it's breath prayers, whether it's contemplative prayer, whether it's Christian yoga. If there's, isn't that an oxymoron? Anyhow, um, whatever it is, the point of all of these is that somehow you're going to get close to God by some man-made means rather than coming to God on His terms through Christ. Isn't that it? I think that's what it is. And that's what makes it apostasy. And... It's just unbelievable. Every every time another page gets turned of uh, in history, as we see the end times delusion unfolding before our very eyes, you you see things that you never ever thought you would see or hear. And uh, I think it's just amazing to me. Well, let's go to let's start this next verse, Hebrews ten and verse thirty. For we know him who said, "Vengeance is mine; I will repay," and again. The Lord will judge His people. Now, these phrases in Hebrews 10.30 are from the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 32, the Song of Moses. Now, Deuteronomy serves as a good backdrop for this warning against apostasy because Moses is predicting because he's giving this sermon. Deuteronomy is a sermon. I preached through some chapters of Deuteronomy a few years ago. And Deuteronomy is... Before Moses dies and the people are gathered at Kadesh Barnea, Moses is warning them about what's going to happen after he dies. And he already knows they're going to rebel. And he already knows that they're going to come under God's judgment and under the curses of the covenant. But he still nevertheless pleads with them to not do so. And and so that's why the author of Hebrews is drawing from Deuteronomy because it's a similar idea. God made a covenant with those people at Sinai. Moses was given the law. They all agreed to the covenant. They said, "The words of the covenant we will do." They agreed to the ceremony, the covenant. They are God's people. He's their God. They are his people. So there's a marriage between God and the people. And there's stipulations of the covenant that they agreed to. And Moses and it included forgiveness of sins. It wasn't that they thought they were going to be sinless. They had a day of atonement. They came they got to receive forgiveness. But Moses was warning them to not go after the other gods and the practices that are forbidden because when they go into the land of Canaan, they're going to go into dangerous territory. They're going to go into a territory where the people there have temple prostitution, where they have wicked practices that are very seductive, very enticing. They're going to go into Canaan, and when they get there, there's going to be inhabitants that say, things that you thought were sinful, for us, it gets us closer to God, you should try it. That's what they're facing. And that's why Moses is building this wall of warnings and the law and the practices that God gave him. And then, on top of all that, he brings the threat of judgment, that if you... Don't heed the words of the covenant and you go into Canaan and begin to practice the practices that these people are doing even now. God is going to bring his vengeance and you will come, you will have enemy status with God and it's a terrifying, verse 31, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So Moses brought that threat in order to dissuade the people from what he knows they're going to be severely tempted to do. Now, how is it being applied in Hebrews? Here, it's interesting, the temptation for the people that are reading this epistle to the Hebrews is to actually go back to Moses, not to the pagans. And the author of Hebrews is saying going back to the Mosaic Covenant is tantamount to being under that covenant and going back to the pagans, you are insulting the Holy Spirit because Jesus Christ, Moses spoke. I mean, Jesus, Moses spoke of Him. Jesus's blood washes away sins. Jesus is the High Priest. He, His is the blood of the covenant. And if you go back to something else, you've insulted the Holy Spirit and you've turned away from the faith, and you are going to fall under the curses of the covenant that Moses talked about. You'll fall under a curse. All right. Uh, let's quick look up the cross-references to the verse 30. Um, Dick, Deuteronomy 32, 35, and 36. Joanne, Psalm 94, 1. Keith, Isaiah 59, 17. Brian, Ezekiel 18, 30. And Dean, Romans 12, 19. Alright, as soon as you have it, Dick, Deuteronomy 32, 35, and 36.
1: Vengeance is mine and retribution. In due time, then, their foot will slip, for the day of their calamity is near, and the impending things are hastening upon them. For the Lord will vindicate his people and will have compassion on his servants, when he sees that their strength is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free.
0: Okay, so there's there's the passage that's being alluded to here and. In it, it includes both warning and comfort. And as we're going to see, the warnings against apostasy are always followed by comfort in the book of Hebrews. Notice here in Hebrews 10:30 30, 31 is a warning. But look at verse 32. But remember the former days and after being enlightened you endured great conflict. You showed sympathy to prisoners. So the warning followed by comfort and that's what we have in Deuteronomy. Warning followed by comfort. Isaiah 94, I mean, excuse me, Psalm 94 and verse 1. So the Lord is a God of vengeance. Isaiah fifty nine seventeen. He put on righteousness like a breastplate, and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of
3: vengeance for clothing, and wrapped himself with zeal as with a mantle. According to their deeds, so he will repay wrath to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. The coastlands he will make recompense.
0: Okay, so God's wrath. That's Isaiah fifty nine seventeen. And then uh, Ezekiel thir-
1: 18.30. Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin, and so shall they not be stumbling block to you.
0: Okay. And then in the New Testament, Romans 12.19.
2: Romans 12.19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the
0: Lord. So God is the one who has vengeance and not us. It's a good thing. Yeah. Remember when the disciples wanted to call down fire? <laughs> I've often thought if we had that power, there wouldn't be anybody in any church. There would be piles of ashes where all the <laughs> people were in the pews and then that would be it. It's a good thing God keeps it in His hands, right? He's much more merciful than we are.
1: Be a lot on the road, right? <laughs> yeah, there wouldn't be anybody driving a car.
0: <laughs> Suddenly, rush hour would be no problem. <laughs> okay, um, this morning the sermon is in Philippians three, and um, that starts at ten thirty. We'll have a worship service and then the sermon from Philippians chapter three. Thank you for joining me. I, I enjoyed the conversation today. Very interesting discussion.